Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support, and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today, I've got Carol Jo. She's worked in beauty for many years, and she currently heads up innovation and investment for Shiseido in China. She started with Shiseido. She started Shiseido's first beauty innovation hub in China and works on strategic partnerships and creates opportunities through M&A. Carol has a wealth of knowledge about the beauty market and the industry and is absolutely in the thick of things in China now today. And I'm very excited to have her with us here. Thank you so much for joining, Carol. So thanks for having me, Ali. So first of all, I guess I wanted to talk about a couple of trends. So coming out of the, obviously we know that China has bounced out of the pandemic, certainly in the beauty space very, very rapidly um, starting last year. Health and wellness is something that has only gained traction and gained strength um, coming out of this. One thing I'm particularly interested in and people that listen to this are is natural and clean. How do you see this trend sort of developing currently in China? Mm. So I think, you know, with COVID, you know, many people are much more aware of their health. So you see a lot of um, um, brands, both, you know, beauty brands, as well as other brands coming into the market with more of a health and wellness positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so before COVID, we, we had this trend of in- ingredient centric, right? Consumers mm-hmm. are are aware of ingredients in the label and they're very much um, involved in like oh, what percentage is this versus that so they're very much knowledgeable I think after COVID they're even more involved yeah. in the ingredients and I think um, although not yet onto the clean the so-called clean mm-hmm. as um, in the west but they're more aware of you know certain ingredients um, what are the causes of um, allergies for example mm-hmm. um, from activities um, from wearing masks because everyone's required to wear masks um, in public areas so yeah. that has given a lot of people skin irritations and breakouts mm-hmm. and um, in China we have a huge boom in uh, medical beauty which is yeah. aesthetic um, beauty <laughs> treatments so with a lot of lasers a lot of um, kind of heat treatments that also in, uh, in made the skin extra sensitive so mm-hmm. you see a lot of brands positioning themselves as for sensitive skin. Um, You see a lot of rise of those brands. So with all of that, although we don't have, you know, the word clean, Mm. we do have a very large um, awareness of ingredients in in packaging. Um, What does everything mean? Um, Would it cause irritation to sensitive skin? So that part is um, I, I would only see a continue and a lot of big brands. So even if their uh, original position is not ingredient or um, percentages, they're starting to call out those things in their communications. So I thought yeah. that was interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think um, 
I, I, you know, I've said this plenty of times to my audience, how sophisticated the Chinese consumer is. And, you know, certainly when it comes to skincare and how much research they do and that they want to understand much more about the formulation and the ingredients than ge the general consumer in the West. And I think that shocks a lot of brands um, mm. wh when they come in. And I think it's very interesting, your point about clean, and that certainly completely goes with what I've found through my research is it's you know it's there it's being used the term clean um is is being used more than it was even 12 months ago but it's still mm. not the reason people buy and and mm. people are searching for it more but they're searching to discover what it means what brands are how brands are linking to it and again it all goes back to the ingredients doesn't it mm. Correct, correct. And it happens so fast. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two months later <laughs> becomes a buzzword. <laughs> Everything happens so fast here. <laughs> I know, I need to get this interview out quickly, basically. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. from um, from late, I, I would say late last year to even this, you know, what we have been, this is a June, right? Even in six months, I've seen a huge um, boom of uh, hydrogen acid, you know, yes. ingredient, as an ingredient because of the new regulation. So part of it is the government, right? The government approves the ingredient and then the, you know, the suppliers supplies the market with everything and all the new, new startup takes them and put it into their brands. So yeah. that creates a whole ripple chain within the whole um, the market. So it's, it's quite interesting. <laughs> very interesting, very interesting, yeah. So China speed. Um, okay, then the next thing, I guess, talking about future, no, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I mean, customized skincare is something that's been sort of, people have talked about it for quite a long time. And I know that um, it's it's something that maybe in your space you've been particularly interested in. Can you tell me a little bit about what's happening in the customized skincare space at the moment in China? Sure, sure. You know, I've always been very interested in customization or personalization mm. because I think that is kind of the future of where we're going uh, with mm. uh, you know, very tailored for you uh, products and services. Um, however, because of technology, you know, it's, it's almost impossible for us to make, you know, for you only type of yeah. formulation yeah. Um, because every, every single formula needs to be registered uh, in China before you sell it, right? So um, it's also not technically legal um, for on the spot mix uh, and sell it to consumers. Right. So, um, you know, you, you could do it DIY kit where consumers can do it at home, but there's no way that we can customize everything, you know, for you and sell it to you. So um, that is the limitation. So there's, you see brands taking other approaches where they, you know, they can customize maybe like 10 to 20 different formulas and the way that they uh, sell it to the consumer is you know they, they analyze your skin and they mm -hmm. say oh you're at this certain certain skin type and we have this mixture for you so it, it will look like or it makes them feel like this is specially made yeah. for them but it comes from a set of already um, set formulations yeah um, and I don't see it happening like I don't know how long it'll take for us to go to complete personalization mm -hmm. don't think that's possible at this point <laughs> with mm, all the regulations yeah. but you do see a lot more brands now having you know diagnosis so the way that they diagnose your skin whether it's through an app or from um, a in-person beauty advisor or kind of like an online advisor so diagnosing your skin and giving you a personalized consultation mm -hmm. that is becoming more um more common mm -hmm. and then 
the, the recommendation for you, even though the products are not personalized for you, but the recommendation is personalized with the customized products for you are what most brands are, um, you know, what they're trying to make personalization for the consumer. Focus, so yeah. A lot more, um, a lot more brands are taking that approach, having mm. a more, you know, with the way that they consult and the way that they give you a recommendation. The product itself, I don't see, you know, much more beyond customization at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean, there's a few, there are a few interesting brands in the US using technology to try and really look at your, the, you know, the makeup of your skin and how, again, I, I don't think it can be completely 100% personalized and possibly it doesn't need to be, right? I mean, that's a whole different topic. But the fact that consumers are wanting and demanding something that is more tailored to them and more suited to them and not so just driven by the market push and, the, and marketing and what the influencers say. I think that's a that's an interesting trend for brands to really look at. And I think foreign brands coming into China specifically, how do you how do you talk about the product being good for Asian skin, you know, for Chinese skin? Like how or I know obviously different types of skin, but I think that's something that brands have to grapple with. Obviously at Shiseido, you're Japanese, so you you know, in terms of the DNA, but for, for foreign brands coming in, do you think that's something that they really have to address with consumers, the type of skin? I, I think I think consumers who are very knowledgeable in this sector, they're not not necessarily, you know, kind of figuring out is it Asian skin or Caucasian skin, but mm. they want products that are suitable for them. So yeah. it's more about as long as you can show that you understand the type of skin they have as well as the issues that they're experiencing and you have a product for that they're not that particularly you know like oh i need to buy a japanese brand or i need to buy a korean brand i think the younger especially the younger consumers in china are much more open and they're much more willing to try uh, different brands and services and they want the expertise I think that's very important you know mm -hmm. as we when I look at the market right now I see a lot more um, emphasis on science mm -hmm. so you know, dermatologists as well as plastic surgeons <laughs> are mm -hmm. becoming wells on, on a lot of the social platforms which is an interesting yeah. trend I see so um, consumers are no longer looking for I mean they're they're still looking at you know recommendations by normal like you know beauty KOLs but yeah they're looking for that extra expertise recommendation by the experts in the industry mm -hmm. as well so I think you know science-based if you state the facts and how it addresses the concerns that the consumers are having um there I don't think it really matters that much yeah. yeah okay okay that's great that's great so for you right now what's the most exciting thing about beauty in in China it's, it's um you know what areas are you looking at from ideas or investment perspective um, I am primarily looking at two sections. So one is this whole concept of holistic beauty. I feel like this is, this is not new, you know, in the East, 
because we always believed in you have to have inner beauty that will glow from within, right? So people are taking um, a lot of internal, yep. uh, whether it's uh, not really supplements, but supplements as well, but um, you know, more beauty oriented ingredients that are good for you, for good yep. for skin. And then pair that with outer skincare uh, regimen. So it's kind of an inner outer combo. Mm. So much more, you see a lot of activity in this sec- uh, section now more than ever. Like, every day there's something new that's like good for you skincare uh and then they have supplements or food beauty food for you to ingest so um really looking at that area because um you know as an asian brand uh especially japanese brand um very much into inner beauty so uh, lots of new startups in this section that's very interesting and and i think um you know, inner beauty has a higher barrier than I think outer beauty for consumers to try mm. something mm. that's suggested. So consumers still are looking for um, quality as well as kind of like the historical, like this brand has been proven in other markets. So yeah. this is where a lot of um, foreign brands have a great opportunity to enter China because, mm. you know, it's proven in Australia, it's proven in America, mm. uh, you know, consumers are much willing to try rather rather than a new brand that's unheard of. And then they're like, oh, where's it made? You know, I'm supposed to take it, you know? So I think beauty is very different from outer beauty. Um, So that's one area. Another area is really, like I mentioned before, the whole uh, medical beauty boom. Yeah, right. (laughs) Aesthetic beauty treatments are becoming such a normal thing in China that I think it will only become a part of skincare. So when people mm-hmm. talk about skincare, it's no mm-hmm. longer just the lotions and the creams you put on your face, but it will include, for example, microneedling. Like mm-hmm. that is a treatment that most women, I think, gets in China. <laughs> they go yeah. once a month or once a quarter. And it basically, you know, it's like injections. It penetrates um, into your skin with injecting, whether it's just HA or other nutrients. Mm-hmm. And that will your skin extra boost. So as technology uh, advances in this section, I think the skincare that comes along with it will kind of couple with that. Um, Because this year we launched a new uh, brand uh, called Effectum, which Mm -hmm. is a beauty, it's kind of a beauty device coupled with skincare. Uh, It's a a joint venture we had with Yamen, which is the number one beauty device company in Japan. So I see an integration between technology and skincare together. And that is a whole new territory, right? It allows Mm -hmm. much instant results. So, you know, you don't need to wait too long to see in like literally instantly lift your face. (laughs) (laughs) But even, you know, so I think that section um, will only like, Mm -hmm. because if you look at penetration rates, uh, Japan and Korea leads China by five folds in terms of aesthetic medicine, um, aesthetic beauty. Yep. So I think China will have a huge area to grow, whether it's mm-hmm. like the whole market is experiencing that. So um, it's a great opportunity. I also mm-hmm. think for brands that have some sort of aesthetic or medical beauty background, because yeah. I know a lot of brands in Europe has that, um, some brands in the US, more from a, a dermatologist perspective. Um, so SkinCeuticals, for example, is doing super well in China because yeah. of this trend. And yeah. I think there's opportunity for other brands to come in, especially from proven uh, countries. 
Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. The um, and I, I think something that you alluded to before is is the products around it in terms of you know what does that do to people's skin? Does it make the skin more sensitive? I mean, already sensitive skin is such a big issue, right? Like there's a lot of there's a lot of issues around sensitive skin, and um, obviously there are some local brands that are addressing that, but also from an international brand perspective, it's a, it's a big area. So that's that's something that brands could also pick up on and maybe maybe even in the more natural um, natural space. But I think we're still we're still seeing that the market is very fixated on quick results and um, efficacy and it being very, yeah, very immediate. I think that's uh, yeah, very, very efficacy driven. They want yeah. something that works. But, you know, as I think, you know, also, like you mentioned, there's another group of people who have tried so many efficacy driven brands or treatments that their skin becomes super sensitive. So they might have to get brand, uh, or try products that are um, post-care treat, right? So they get the treatments, but then they need products that will help them recover faster. Mm -hmm. So the post-care treatments are another area um, that are growing as well. Yeah, that's very, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, there's lots of, as it's, as, as I always say to people, it's a huge market. There are so many different niches within it. It's just how to, how to sort of really address that, that, that need for that niche. Right. And I think a lot of brands coming in are often too general or they're not specific enough. They're not, they don't find their target. They don't define their target well enough. So that's something that, that they really need to work on before entering. Um, mm -hmm. Niche is <laughs> yes, niche is big in China. And that's actually my next question. Because, um, you know, you obviously work for Shiseido, and you've got a background from L'Oreal and sort of various other um, big beauty brands. But I'm sure niche is something that you and your team watch very closely. So what do you feel is some advice for niche brand beauty brands coming into China now? You know, obviously, they don't have the same budgets, but they are have the advantage of being small and nimble potentially so what what advice would you have for them um i think it's a great opportunity for niche brands to come into china at this point because um uh, just for everyone who's not familiar with china market um china market is a very unique ecosystem uh digitally right versus mm -hmm. the u.s there's so many different platforms that you can reach consumers that it's not dominated by um a few although you know Tmall and um, JD to some extent or for the for the majority of the time has been dominating the e-commerce space. Yeah. However, even now you see that um, a lot of the social platforms are taking shares away. Um, Tmall traffic has decreased significantly <laughs> over the past couple months. So um, we do see a lot of diversification in terms of channels. So as long as you define your consumer in the right way you can really accurately target them and you can really talk to them in a very um singular manner so that's like great for small brands right you don't need to spend too much money to get to your ta um and then you can really uh make your brand very unique in that like you know in their eyes so it's very important to define your target you can't be everything for anyone for everyone um and Chinese consumers love a unique story. It's very important that, you know, 
it, they can remember your brands because mm-hmm. <laughs> right now in China, everyone has so many options, right? You have a lot of local brands that are very fun and cool. You have a lot of foreign brands coming in. So is it, and then you have multinationals like us that everyone knows already, but mm-hmm. have the large budgets to keep telling the story. But I think, you know, with such a diverse um, market with such, you know, a competitive market, you really need to kind of focus on, you know, what, what is the right target and what are mm-hmm. the, right social channels to target um, them. Um, and, uh, you know, not every, maybe for smaller brands, I think many times they're like, oh, we should create a, uh, a shop on Tmall. But I, I, I might not approach that way because I think Tmall right now, like traffic is very expensive. And for a small brand to come in, you might not very even get the people to see your store if you have it on Tmall. So there's many other smaller, I think, new channels that you can explore that you can uh, ride on kind of the beginning stage, you know, and kind of capture the consumers at that point. So like try creative ways to, to enter the market through different channels. And maybe there's ways to partner because I think it's easier if you can partner with um, another, I think, either another brand or the KOLs in China that are looking for new, uh, new uh, brands that they can also sell. Because a lot of mm. KOLs right now are having their own shops. Yeah. So they're they're also a direct channel into your consumer, um, and which is another unique area that I think will be gl- uh, growing for the next couple, I don't know, in next couple months, definitely. I, I'm, okay. I'm also looking at it because we have some projects that we want to launch into the market and they're also small and they might not have the budget. And I'm mm. also looking at, you know, who, who, who are, who fits the profile um, of my consumer target and can they actually help sell the product? So I think all of those is very important. Um, and then, and then lastly, just, you know, very, you just have to embrace change because everything changed so fast and um, it's okay to just change your strategy or your, your tactics and try different things. Um, and it takes, a, it takes a while because consumers in China will try everything at least once, but it's about how do you, t- you know, how do you make them come back to your brand? Because I do see a lot of um, companies with, uh, right now, everyone's doing live streaming, right? Live streaming is the hottest thing. And, but live streaming, I always say, don't really sell a brand. It sells a product. Yeah. So you could get the top KOL to sell your product through live streaming. But how do you get them to come back to repurchase? Um, that, is, that is the tough part. Because live streaming can only get you that initial spike but how do you engage them so that they can constantly come back? And, you know, that's how you grow a brand. So you should have, you think about like, a, it's a multi, multi-pronged approach. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's loads of good advice in there. Really, really good advice. I, I, I totally agree about Timor Global not necessarily being the right platform. And I think for the last little while, it's been the platform that all these brands have gone on to. And then I, you know, I get a lot of people calling me and they're struggling, right? So, so they're looking for alternative options. Um, but, but I guess then they haven't been as well publicized, these other options, right? So, so it's, it's education as well for on that, on that. And also it's changed really recently. There's a couple of new players in the space in the last few months, right? In, in terms of cross-border. So yeah, as you said, things change every every couple of months, um, but uh, defining your audience, yeah, completely agree. It's, it's super important. And um, 
Uh, yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Carol. I think there's loads of information in there for everyone. And um, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile below if people want to get in touch directly. But thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.